Chapter 11 Fan awoke on a bed in the headmistress's chambers. She was covered with thick woolen blankets and warmed by the fire. Sister Hilda sat stone-faced in the rocking chair near the hearth, with a Bible laid open in her lap, reading quietly. From outside the room, Finn heard the sounds of children gathering for a meal, small feet stomping on wood, the scraping of chairs on the floor, the voices and sounds of home. Sister Hilda hadn't yet seen that she was awake, and Finn dared not speak. Would Hilda be angry with her? Would she tell her to leave now that she was rousing? Finn was afraid of those answers. Her entire body ached. The swelling around her eye felt like it had gone down, but her cheekbone throbbed dully. Her temple pounded with each heartbeat. Soldiers. It all came back to her in spurts and explosive images. Running. The butt of a musket. The cold edge of a knife. The fire. Bartimaeus's eyes as Betsy woke. He'd killed a man. Terrible things. He'd brought back Bart, the man he used to be, and Betsy. He'd lain down. Twenty years standing up, he'd said, and now he'd brought himself low for a foolish girl in her pride. Oh, Bartimaeus, did his fiddle hold notes enough to assuage this new grief? Finn couldn't keep silent any longer and began to cry. Hilda's face lifted from her reading. She stood and placed the Bible on the mantel, then sat down on the edge of the bed. Finn tried to roll over and turn away, but Hilda pulled her up into an embrace. She held Finn tight and rocked her. Finn looked up. She could hardly believe it. She had never imagined Hilda harbored a thimbleful of care for her. I'm sorry, cried Finn into Hilda's bony breast. Hush, child, Hilda whispered. Hush. Finn tried to remember the last time she'd actually touched Hilda. The only physical contact she'd ever had with the woman had been of a disciplinary sort. How strange, she thought, to be caressed by a hand that had only ever brought pain. Their embrace was long and difficult. Years of bitterness had spread between them a gulf too vast to span in so short a time. But each held to the other and trembled lightly, one with age and one with regretful tears, until their brief communion broke and each awkwardly withdrew. Hilda laid Finn back on her pillow and, without speaking, stood and left the room. Finn heard the door open and the rhythm of quick steps on the wooden floor. Peter ran into the room and straight to the bed. Finn smiled at him through her aching face. He picked her up and kissed her. She didn't care that it hurt. She'd go through pain a thousand times for such kisses. I'm sorry I told you to go back. Me and Bartimaeus were looking for you all night. Peter was talking so fast Finn could barely make out his words. You were looking for me? She asked softly. Of course he would have been. But knowing it, hearing it out of his own mouth. She needed that. He had looked for her. Mr. Hickory said to let you go. Said you just needed to cool off. But when I went to see you at dinner, they said you hadn't come back. We spent all night looking. I went door to door through town asking. And Bartimaeus, he searched the woods. He stopped long enough to kiss her a few more times. And Sister Carmeline appeared at the doorway, squinting a big smile at them. Finn, there was so much blood. I thought you were dead. Bartimaeus came into town carrying you. And, oh, there is so much blood. Are you all right? I'm fine, said Finn hoping maybe he'd put her down soon. It was really beginning to hurt. You won't be getting out of that bed for a few more days if I have anything to do with it, Miss Button, cautioned Sister Carmeline. Finn heard footsteps coming through the front door again, soft and slow. Bartimaeus slid through the bedroom doorway and worked his creases into a smile. He looked different, was different. Not on the outside, something on the inside had changed. He looked like he had aged years since she'd seen him last. Picking up Betsy again had hurt him. 
Finn smiled back and said nothing. You all get to the table now so I can get Miss Button here some dinner, he said. Carmeline tugged Peter out of the room. Bartimaeus ducked around the corner and brought back a tray piled high with roasted turkey, okra, potatoes, and peach cobbler. He set it down on the night table and looked at Finn. Well, can you sit up? Lying down won't do. Finn risked it and pushed herself up against the headboard. It wasn't pleasant, but she managed to make it look painless. Bartimaeus nodded with satisfaction and placed the tray on her lap. She appraised it hungrily while he sat down in the rocking chair next to the fire. She wanted to say something to him, to thank him, but thanks didn't seem sufficient. She watched him, sitting, smiling at her. She searched for words to let him know how she felt, but when she tried to speak, he stopped her. I know, Missy. You just eat up now, see here? Old Bartimaeus liked to keel over dead the last two days with no help. Got to get you back up and running around. Finn smiled at him and dug into her dinner with fury. The next morning, Finn decided that despite Sister Carmeline's assurances to the contrary, she was not going to stay in bed any longer. Whether it hurt or not, she was getting up. She swung herself out of the bed and groaned as her muscles protested. They were aching and sore. Sharp pains flared in her lower back. Her midriff had a thick bandage wrapped around it to protect the wounds where the knife had cut her. When she stood up, the cut on the arch of her foot throbbed, and she shifted her weight quickly to relieve the pain. It hurt, but it wasn't so bad. She'd be limping for a few days. She looked around the room for her clothes and failed to find them. Sister Carmeline had laid out a plain blue dress for her. She scowled at it, but was in no mood for stirring up trouble. The least she could do was put it on. She slipped into it and washed her face in the basin on the night table. Looking up into the mirror was a mistake, though. Finn hardly recognized herself. Her cheek and left eye were a dull, greenish-yellow color. The other side of her face was black and blue from her hairline above her right eye to her ear and down to her jaw. Colorful, but not anything she wanted to get used to. She ran a brush through her hair to give it some semblance of order and then went outside. The sounds of a normal day at the orphanage greeted her. Kids running and yelling, animals lowing and braying, Sister Hilda off in the distance scolding someone, and the smells of the kitchen binding it all together. The place didn't feel as confined as it had only a few days ago. Odd, that. Three days earlier, this had been the worst place she could imagine. Now she couldn't think of anywhere she'd rather be. All that was missing was Peter. He'd be back at work with Mr. Hickory, no doubt. She stepped off the porch and made for the dining hall. Inside, Bartimaeus was sitting at a table whittling away at carrots. Up and about already, he said, raising an eyebrow. I didn't expect you'd stay down long. I've had enough bed for a week, she said. He motioned to the kitchen. Go get you a knife and help me peel in these here carrots. Finn retrieved a knife and sat down next to him. She had questions, but didn't know how to ask. Hmm? He said without looking up from his carrot. He knew her mind. You killed that man, she said with a wince. The creases on Bartimaeus' face deepened. I reckon I did. I remember the other man yelling, but I don't remember what happened to him. Finn said. Bartimaeus tended his carrot in silence. He finished and placed it on the table. I cut him. Didn't kill him. He ran off into the woods. He fixed his eye on her. Was more worried about seeing to you than I was seeing to him. He wiped the knife on his shirt and picked up another carrot. So I let him go. Reckon these old legs too stiff to give much chase anyhow. Finn thought about it as she peeled her carrot. Will he come back? She asked. Bartimaeus stopped and looked across the room at the wall. 
I reckon he will. There was King's soldiers. I expect they'll want to find the man what killed one of them. Blood rushed from Finn's face. What are you going to do? She demanded. You can't just stay here. Bartimaeus turned and looked at her. If they come for me, then I'll go. I told you. I've been standing up twenty years now. All them years I wondered why the good Lord spared me the gallows. Most of old Bart's friends swang for the hangman, but not me. Always wondered why. But the other night in them woods I learnt something. The Lord kept me back just for that one night. Reverend Whitfield told me the Lord done chose us afore we was even born. And I reckon I was chose to be in them woods. He laid down his knife and smiled at her. Now, that's done. Lived more years and better than I ever deserved, and it's time for old Bart to pay for all the hurtin' he made. Finn's shock turned to anger. His casual attitude infuriated her. He might be perfectly willing to rot away in some jail, but it was a long way from acceptable as far as Finn was concerned. She slammed her knife down on the table and limped out of the room. Bartimaeus stared after her for a moment, then resumed his carrot work. Finn stopped in the courtyard and leaned against the wall of the dining hall. The short exertion of hurrying out of the room had exhausted her. The soldiers would return. They'd take Bartimaeus away. She needed to do something, anything. Circumstances beyond her control were about to take away one of the only people in the world she loved, and there was nothing she could do about it. Walls, closing in again. She needed her bell tower. She needed to get above the walls and see the trees, but it was gone. The new chapel had locks on the doors. She limped out the gate and down to the river. She wished she had brought the fiddle, but she couldn't stand to go back for it. If she saw Bartimaeus, she would yell at him. She would tell him to run, to get away. But she knew he wouldn't listen. Stubborn man. How dare he sit in his kitchen and wait for his own doom, a doom crafted by her foolishness. She dropped to the ground under a large cypress. It was the same spot where Bartimaeus had first showed her his fiddle. And Betsy. Her body ached and she could feel dampness on the bandages. She'd torn her wounds open. They were bleeding. She pulled herself up against the tree and set her mind to finding a way to save Bartimaeus. Pain and helplessness were not options. After hours of trying and failing to think of a solution, she made her way back to the orphanage. The best plan she could come up with was to convince Bartimaeus to leave Ebenezer, if only for a little while. Maybe whoever came from him could be persuaded that a traveler had killed the soldier, not a resident. It was the best she could muster. When she got to the gate, she looked down the road, and what she saw made her heart drop into her stomach. There were red-coated soldiers at Mr. Hickory's house. One was on horseback, an officer, and he was talking to a group of townsfolk in the street. Finn opened the gate and ran to the dining hall. Bartimaeus was setting lunch on the table. Her body screamed with pain from running. Soldiers! Bartimaeus! You have to hide! Bartimaeus stopped what he was doing and looked at her calmly. I'm done hiding, missy. When they get here, I'll be going. You have to hide or run or leave. You can't let them take you. Bartimaeus looked at her and smiled. It's all right, missy. This place don't need me no more. But what about me? I need you. You can't just let them come. Do something, she shouted at him. Bartimaeus came around the table and took her by the shoulders. See here, you and Peter are going to do just fine. This is my choice, missy, my choice. If I run, then what? Old man hiding in the woods and folks' barns, waiting around for the man to come knocking? And when he does, what am I to do? Fight? Run some more? He shook his head. No, missy. Finn beat on his chest. Do something, please! Bartimaeus, do something! She cried. Bartimaeus didn't try to stop her. 
Her fists hit him again and again and again. He closed his eyes and accepted the blows like kisses. Outside, a man's voice shouted for the gate to be opened. Finn heard Sister Carmeline bustling out of her quarters, shooing off children and demanding to know the meaning of the order. If you don't do something, I will, said Finn. She clenched her jaw and looked him straight in the eye. I won't let them. I'll stop them. Bartimaeus turned deadly serious. You'll do no such thing. You got to stay out of this. He grabbed her firmly. Look at me. She looked up at him with a face set in stone. You stay out of sight, you hear? I won't let them take you, she said coldly. Bartimaeus's eyes flashed with fear or anger. She couldn't tell which. He looked around the room, then gritted his teeth. Finn was too startled to resist when he pushed her into the kitchen. He slammed the door and turned the lock before she could realize what he was doing. Finn rattled the door, threatening to rip it off his hinges. Bartimaeus! she screamed. Bartimaeus walked out of the hall. Bartimaeus, no! she bellowed. The soldiers were at the front gate. The officer had dismounted and was speaking with Sister Carmeline. Bartimaeus walked straight to him. I'm the man you're looking for, he said. The officer looked back toward his men. A soldier with a bandage covering his face stepped forward. There was a slotted opening in the dressing so that one eye could peer out. The eye glared at Bartimaeus and the man nodded. That's him. Shackle him, said the officer, and two men came forward with chains. Bartimaeus held out his wrists and they clasped the manacles around them. Sister Carmeline covered her mouth with her hands and wept. In the background, the muffled screams from the dining hall went ignored. Finn was trying to tear the door apart. Carmeline and Hilda watched in tearful silence as the soldiers reformed their detail, and with Bartimaeus stumbling along in tow, they began their march back toward Savannah. When they passed out of sight, Hilda turned to investigate the commotion coming from the dining hall. She threw open the door to the kitchen and stormed in. What in the name of heaven? She swore. Finn pushed her aside and ran through the door. She could catch them. She could stop them. She could bring him back. She ran through the gate, ignoring the shouts of protest from Hilda and Carmeline. Her foot felt like it was on fire. The wounds on her back were bleeding freely. It didn't matter. The troop of soldiers was already on the edge of town. Bartimaeus was stumbling behind them in chains. He fell and they kicked him, jerked him to his feet, struck him. She opened her mouth and tried to scream, but her lungs hadn't the will. Arms reached from behind and pulled her off the road. She struggled against them, furious, wailing a silent cry. Let me go, she begged. It was Peter. Finn, there's, there's nothing you can do. Let him go. She tried to hit him, but his arms held her fast. Let him go. There will be a trial, Peter assured her. He'll be back, Finn. That seemed to calm her. At least it gave her a reason to stop fighting. She went limp, and Peter lowered her to the ground. She didn't have tears left. She stared down the road. Then Peter picked her up to carry her back to the orphanage, and she lost consciousness in his arms. When Finn awoke, she found herself back in her own bed in the orphan house. She had no idea what day or even what time of day it was. She lay helpless, without the energy or will to move. Sister Carmeline came in several times to check on her, and Finn simply rolled away and ignored any inquisition. Her dreams were of red coats and cruel intentions, and her waking thoughts tormented her with a hundred ways she could have prevented it all from happening. The thought of Bartimaeus' case going to trial comforted her. A judge would have to hear about the way the soldiers had treated her, what they planned to do with her, and how Bartimaeus had rescued her. The court would acquit him. It was as simple as that. In the evening, Carmeline came in with food and refused to leave until Finn had eaten. Finn sat up and took the tray Carmeline offered her. The food looked gray and tasteless. 
All she could do was pick at it. Miss Button, I am going to talk, said Sister Hilda. Whether you are listening or not is up to you, but I will not leave until I have finished. Finn ignored her and continued nudging her food, eating the odd bite. You have been through an horrific amount of misfortune these past days, and we all feel deeply for you, dear. Carmeline paused to determine whether she was having any effect on Finn. There was none at all. This is a home with rules and order, and I must insist that we've seen the last of your screaming and running about. Many of the children are positively terrified of you, and I cannot say that I blame them. Now I fully expect you'll require a few days to mend. When you're feeling up to it, we are greatly in need of you. Sister Hilda has been doing the cooking of late, and the travesty upon your plate is evidence enough of her lack of finesse. I hope you'll be able to fill in until Bartimaeus returns. Once again she paused, and once again Finn ignored her. Now, about Bartimaeus. This time Finn did show a flicker of interest, but promptly covered it up by taking another bite of her food. I intend to ride into Savannah tomorrow to visit the courthouse. I expect at the very least to return with the particulars of the case and an expected date for the trial so that we may all attend to show our support. I shall also secure the services of the best lawyer that can be found. I'm going with you, said Finn. My dear, I know you and Bartimaeus are close, but you must leave this to me. You are in no condition to travel. Finn wanted to protest, but she lacked the will. She set the food tray aside, rolled toward the wall, and pulled the blankets up over her head. Finn rose before dawn and solemnly slid into her hated blue dress. She washed her face, tied back her hair, and capped it with a bonnet. She stared into the mirror, wondering who the person staring back at her was. Bonnet and dress, prim and proper. Most of her face was marbled with the green and blue of bruises born and dying, but there was no mistaking the flared outlines of a properly attired young woman. It was the person Carmeline and Hilda always tried to wedge her into. A total stranger. But stranger or no, she determined to abide it for the sake of her intentions. She made a last scowl at the mirror, then turned and walked down to the stables. She manhandled the wagon out of its berth in the barn and fetched the horses to tack and hitch. When Sister Carmeline bobbled out of her chambers just as the sun was peeking into the world, Finn was sitting patiently atop the wagon waiting for her. Finn didn't look at her, she just sat there, back straight, hands folded in her lap, looking out the gate and down the road toward Savannah. Sister Carmeline stopped at the bottom of her steps and considered the situation. There would be no removing Finn from that wagon without a great deal of grief and noise. So shaking her head back and forth, Carmeline waddled across the courtyard and clambered up into the wagon seat. She busied herself adjusting her girth into as comfortable a position as the seat would allow, and then took the reins in her hands. Finny a button, you are a stubborn wonder, said Carmeline without looking at Finn and then she snapped the reins and they rolled out the gate. They didn't speak during the ride. Carmeline hummed hymns, and Finn sat stone-faced, thinking about Bartimaeus. What did they feed a man in jail? Did they let him wash or perform his necessaries in private? Surely they wouldn't have beaten him. She had no idea what he was going through and was terrified to find out. How long would it take him to come to trial? How long would the trial last? How long until he was back at the orphanage and her world returned to normal? Questions and fears galloped through her mind as the horses plodded slowly toward Savannah, where answers lay waiting. By late morning, they were trundling into the city and Finn's ringing hands belied her anticipation. The streets were choked with folk on foot, coming and going like ants. The crowd grew thicker as they neared the city center 
and several times Finn considered jumping clear of the wagon to carry on by foot. The wagon made such slow progress in the narrow streets that at last Carmeline determined to livery the horse and wagon and walk the final distance. The crowd all streamed in the same direction. Something was happening, and many onlookers were anxious to find good ground from which to eye the spectacle. Carmeline found a man standing still long enough to accost him and inquire about the bustle and stir. Pardon, sir, could you kindly tell me what all this commotion is about? We're making for the courthouse, and never have I seen such business in the streets. Hanging today. Been a long while since the last one. Folks come out to see him dangle, said the man. Good day, ma'am. He hurried away. Thank you, muttered Carmeline to the man's back as he retreated. Come on, Finia. Let's be done and home and away from this dreadful business. She grabbed Finn's hand and pulled her along. When they reached the city square, Carmeline bumped people out of the way with a barrage of pardon me's. Finn could just see the top of a gallows pole erected in the center of the square, but there wasn't any victim to mount it yet. As she climbed the steps to the door of the courthouse, Finn craned her neck around to get a better look. The gallows was a wooden platform about six feet high with a small stair leading up the right side. On top stood the fearful pole with a cruel arm hooked over to swing the noose. The platform was surrounded at the base by a score of red-coated soldiers holding the crowd at bay. Sister Carmeline pulled Finn through the doorway and the din of the crowd muffled to a low rumble. The anteroom of the courthouse was a large chamber with a high ceiling and was trafficked to and fro by men in black coats and white wigs. Two soldiers flanked the door with muskets held at the order. Sister Carmeline looked around for some idea of who to speak with, finally approaching a tall, willowy man topped with a powdered wig. Good sir, could you assist me? said Carmeline. The man gave her an agitated appraisal and replied, How may I help you, ma'am? A friend of ours was taken into custody by soldiers, and we've come to learn of his whereabouts and charges, explained Carmeline. Very good, ma'am. You will need to speak with the clerk in that room right over there. He motioned to a door at the far end of the hall, then bid good day, and continued through another door at the opposite end of the room. Finn followed Carmeline in the direction of the clerk's office. The office was much smaller than the entry room, and held three desks set against the walls, and piled high with paper, books, and ledgers of varying sorts. Behind each desk sat a man hunched over and scratching furiously with a quill. None looked up at the entry of the two women. The scritch scratch of the quilling and the smell of ink filled the room. Oh, excuse me, ventured Carmeline, and the man nearest popped his head up and peered at them through his spectacles. He said nothing as he looked them over and scratched at his cheek with an inky finger. We're here looking for a friend of ours. He was taken prisoner by soldiers in Ebenezer two days past, and, said Carmeline, Nime, ordered the inky-fingered man. Bartimaeus Gan. Gan, he muttered and began rummaging through the papers stacked on his desk, murmuring the name to himself, then stopped suddenly and fixed his eyes back on Carmeline. Gan, he asked. Yes, sir. Bart Gan. Yes. You're a friend of Bart Gan, you say? Yes, sir, he's our cook at... Ma'am, if you're looking for Bart Gan, you've only to step outside and view the gallows, pole. he said. I'm sorry, said Carmeline, confused. Finn froze. Ma'am, bloody Bart Gan, the pirate, is going to hang this very day at noon. Carmeline's face turned white. No, no, you're mistaken. Our friend, Bartimaeus, was brought into custody only two days ago. We've come to find a date for trial and find a lawyer, said Carmeline. Trial? Ma'am, he's admitted by his own mouth his crimes and felony. 
He's been wanted for hanging some twenty years by the Crown. The judge spoke his end last evening, and today it carries out. Now, if you please, I have work to attend. He dismissed them and bowed his head back to his scratching. Finn's blood ran icy cold. Her mind reeled. She turned and fled out the door. From the steps, she could see that three men now mounted the gallows. One was standing at the rear of the platform, his head cloaked in a black mask cut through with eye holes. The second was a red-coated soldier standing by the steps, holding his arms out in front of him and reading in a loud voice from a curled parchment. The third was Bartimaeus. He stood bent and wrinkled below the arm of a gallows pole, and round his neck circled the hangman's noose. His face wore no expression. For the crimes of piracy, murder, mutiny, as the soldier pronounced each crime, the roar of the crowd swelled. They stomped their feet and raised white-knuckled fists. In the distance, Finn barely registered the tolling of the noonday bell. You are hereby ordered to hang by the neck until dead. Have you any last utterance before such sentence be made sure? Bartimaeus, shouted Finn. She ripped off her bonnet, sprinted down the steps, and flung herself into the crowd. She flailed her arms, pushing and pulling people, trying to make her way to the foot of the gallows. Bartimaeus! She cried again as she swam through the masses of humanity come to watch the villain swing. Bartimaeus turned his head and saw her then. His face melted into something of both a smile and a look of deep mourning. Finn reached the rank of soldiers at the base of the gallows and tried to claw her way past, but they held her fast. She looked up from behind red-coated shoulders and cried out to him. I'm here, Missy, he spoke softly down to her. I'm standing, right here. Then he turned to the soldier that read the decree and nodded. The hooded man stepped forward and stomped on the floor near Bartimaeus's feet. A slight board snapped below him, and Bartimaeus plunged to ruin. The rope pulled his neck into a long and natural shape. He trembled a moment, then stilled and swung in the wind. Finn screamed amid the gasps and cheers of the crowd then slipped to her knees and tore at the ground. Sister Carmeline begged the royal governor not to put the body on display to be eaten at by crows, and at last he agreed. British soldiers threw Bartimaeus's limp body into Carmeline's wagon, and Finn climbed in and laid her head on his breathless chest. With no words to say between them, Sister Carmeline and Finn rolled away home. They buried him under a green cypress on the south bank of the Savannah River. Men and women from the whole town wide came to see him laid to earth and sang hymns to waft him heavenward. Finn knew no song or speech to mend the loss, and no embrace could break her stony face. Peter sat at her feet when all was done and offered the solace of company since no words reached her. For a long time they remained that way, Finn standing stone-like, her eyes transfixed upon the meager planted cross, the last witness to a man's earthly passing and Peter sitting next to her in the grass, quiet and still. Again and again, Finn saw him fall, saw the rope snap taut, heard the cruel jeers of the crowd, and his face, she couldn't escape it, looking at her to the end, smiling and sad. She sent him to die. He should have been blaming her. If he hadn't come to rescue her, he'd be here now, playing the fiddle and laughing his creaky laugh. It was her fault, and yet he smiled. Finn didn't move. She was afraid that if she did, she'd crumble. Peter stood and walked away. She wanted to turn to stop him. She wanted him with her. But she couldn't bring herself to move or call out to him. Then he was gone and the sun was sinking behind the trees. 
The shadow of the grave marker stretched across the ground like the cold, incriminating finger of a ghost. It inched closer and closer, until she backed away out of its reach. Then, from her left, movement. Peter returned, holding the fiddle out like a gift. Bartimaeus's fiddle. Finn took it and caressed it. She reached out and took the bow as well. Peter's eyes quietly pleaded with her, urged her to create something beautiful out of the twisted knot of pain she clung to. She stretched out her arms and began to play. Sound eddied out of the fiddle on a wave of notes as long and deep as grief itself. She poured all her broken pieces into the song and offered them up, struggling to weave notes enough to mend a heart so finely shattered. The song lifted her, lightened her. Each note siphoned out bitterness and in its place left something as pure and sweet as rainwater. Her song rose and spiraled and sailed as a cool wind blew off the river and carried leaves whirling into the air like dervishes, wrapping her in a soft, tree-fallen lament. When she lowered the fiddle, Peter reached out for her, and she welcomed him. She didn't crumble after all. He bore up her timbers and held them fast. Finn laid her head against him and found rest. How long, Peter? She whispered. Soon.